How can we grow and nurture that faith and that growing closer to God? Well, we believe that our relationship is like a building. It has a foundation. And that foundation rests exactly on the very character and the nature of God and our salvation and grace that comes to us through Christ himself. But coming up from that foundation, we see two great pillars. One pillar is the pillar of prayer, and the other pillar is that of God's word. God's word tells us and shows us the character and the nature of the God that we serve. He speaks to us. And prayer is we being able to speak to God himself. The elders desire to begin each year, not as a tradition, but as something that we think that we need to be reminded of, to look back on these pillars. And specifically this year, when we think about prayer and the word, we want to look at them in relation to the church community. Prayer and word, the word of God, for the sake of the church itself. This morning, we're going to be looking at prayer. Why and how we should pray for the church. So as we think of this pillar of prayer, I would like us to consider what God's word says in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. If you have a copy of God's word, I would encourage you to follow along. As I think about this time that we have of speaking of prayer um, how did it come about that I'm the one standing here today to speak to you about prayer? Well, when Pastor John and I were looking at the calendar itself, he knew that he would be gone this week, so I would start this series. And we were thinking about prayer in the Word. He said, did either of the text, either of those thoughts, something that you would like to consider to have a message and to speak on? And I knew for myself, those that have ever prepared a message or done Bible study, whatever that might be, the person that's giving that time and instruction has to study. And we, those individuals, are the first one to grasp the reward of what God's Word says to us. And I knew for myself that I needed to know and understand and have a deeper love for prayer. So that's my decision, to take the text that was about prayer. Remember what I said in the, the pillar series, the little introduction that I have, I said, why and how should we pray for the church? Well, I want to remind us exactly what this church is that we talk about, speak of. The church, first of all, starts with us as individual Christians. We are the church. And then from there it goes out, and this body of believers is part of the church. Anywhere, whether it's in this city, this state, and this whole universe, those that are gathered together and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are part of his kingdom, part of the church. That's who we are. That's who we are as together today as Christians. And what better source to learn why and how than to look to God's word. 
Follow along as I read Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Maybe quite elementary, but Paul is the author of this letter. He is the one that is making this prayer to God. He was writing to the Colossians, and in just this brief time that we've read the scripture and we think about prayer of Paul and his prayer, we see truly the nature of his heart in prayer. And I think that we should covet it. It should be part of us. He says that he wants them to, be, to continue to see God's grace at work in the work that has started in their hearts and in their lives. Very basically, Paul is saying that he wants us to know and understand that once we become Christians, when we gather together, that we have been redeemed by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ. It's a continuation even in the very basic needs of a Christian, they can't be left without prayer. That's what Paul is asking for, for this group. Starts out his petition before the Lord by saying that. He realizes that, and he wrote in Philippians, maybe even more uh, better example than we see here when he said, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul realizes that continually we must be in prayer for ourselves and fellow Christians. This Christian life is day by day by day and continues on until that day that we are called home to glory. But also we understand from the language and the words of Paul himself that he has a great desire and love for these people because he says from the day he has heard about them. He heard about them. We have to realize that Paul is not be the beginner or the author of the work that's going on among the Colossians. He doesn't take credit for it. It was done by somebody else. He's never been there. He's writing this while he is probably in prison in Rome, but he has a fervent love for them even though he has never met them. We should have a great thought of envy for that type of love for fellow Christians. But he does give credit to Ephesus that he makes mention of. 
He's not trying, trying to take credit, but he realizes that he still continues to pray for them. How often does he pray? He says he prays without ceasing. It isn't just a matter of a volume how much he prays, but he is continually in prayer. If I have an example of how we may understand that we pray without ceasing, I think that most Christians, and maybe even people that aren't Christians, relate the blessing of food with prayer. It's such a basic necessity of life, but we are willing to take that aspect and before we partake of it, be willing to pray and thank God for it. If we only had that desire in every area of our life, whether it be about how we see our spouse and the love that God has given between a man and a wife, how we look at our children, how our children pray for us, how we see the role between an interaction and the family itself. If all of that was undergirded with prayer and we did it without ceasing, Paul knows that God would be rewarding that. Prayer, prayer moves on. Paul now goes from just a basic introduction to he really comes to a point where he has a petition that he is bringing before the Lord needs that these individuals have. There is nothing wrong with asking God and having a petition before him. There is no special formula as to how we should pray, what order, but Paul specifically is asking God to give to the Colossians, specific things. I read from the second half of verse 9 through 10. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul asked God to give the Colossians wisdom. And he's very specific as to where the, the source of that wisdom should come from. Paul doesn't mention it in his prayer, but he knows that in this church, there have been false teachers that have come in and said to them, we have a special knowledge We've been enlightened to it. You have to come to us for it. Maybe we will share it with you. We don't know exactly how that worked, but they wanted to offer them some type of special knowledge. Paul doesn't even make mention of it in his prayer because he doesn't want to confuse the Colossians where the specific prayer for knowledge should come. And he tells them exactly where it should come from. He says that, it, that they should look to God himself for it. He says that they should be filled with the will and the knowledge and the spiritual wisdom and understanding that comes only from God. I think we understand very easily 
uh, that we should know the will of God for our individual lives. And I think that we can tend to even uh, compartmentalize that. We might say, uh, I'm seeking God's will for the person that I should spend the rest of my life with, what I should do for a career, where I should serve him in a body of believers. That is all true, and that is seeking after God's will. But I think that this scripture is saying much more when it's speaking of, of being filled with the will. I believe that the will is another way of saying the very nature and characteristics of God himself. He is saying to these people, I want you to be filled with the love, the grace, the peace, the joy, all those characteristics, the completeness of God himself. And because you have that, you will then have spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if we have that, then he said there will be specific things that will be noted and seen in us as Christians. The first one is, so we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You know, yesterday at our time at uh, Bangor Downs Bible uh, School class, we, we had a, a time of looking at Genesis 1 two, and three, and we had a great story time. The kids were engaged. Laura Sweet did an excellent job of presenting uh, exactly how creation came about and how sin entered in. And if you go back into that Genesis scripture, it says in there that God walked in the garden. Can you imagine that Adam and Eve had the fellowship of walking with God, that was never to be broken. God still has that desire that we walk with him. But because of sin, we can't do that face to face like they did in the garden. But we're still said, we're still commanded and said that that can happen if we have the will and the knowledge of who God truly is. It's evident all through the Bible. Through the Old Testament, New Testament, we talk about this walking with God. I have just a few brief passages that I would like to show you. Starting in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 6.16. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good, where the good way is, and walk in it, and find rest for your souls. Romans 13:3 Let your walk pro- uh, properly let us walk properly as in the daylight not in orgies or drunkenness nor in sexual immorality or sensuality not in quarreling or in jealousy And this scripture may be one of those that we have right on our tool belt Galatians 5:16 But I say Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is the walk that we can have with Christ, God himself, when we take on the will of him. And we should be fully pleasing to him, Paul says in his prayer. We in the West don't find that that is really uh, all that desirable a thing that we're seeking after pleasing somebody else. 
So many times we will hear, the only person in life you have to please is yourself. First of all, that's not scriptural. And it more or less is more predominant in the West. There are parts of the world that really are part of what is considered a shame-based culture. And in that, people know that if they do anything to bring disgrace to their family, uh, to a parent, that that burden of grief and shame would be so great for them that that is their motivation that they would never do anything that would truly be displeasing or bring dishonor to a family, to a father, to a mother. And that's their motivation. I'm not saying that that is a good thing because it enters in a lot of guilt and all those other things that go along with that. That's not God's way. But we don't really understand that in this culture. But we should understand how we can be pleasing to him. Matthew 3.17 says, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God the Father himself proclaimed to the world to, to audibly be able to hear that Jesus standing there at that time of baptism was pleasing to him because he was in fellowship, father and son, complete unity, a love for each other, mutual respect, and Christ himself was truly in submission to the Father's will. Paul also prays for bearing fruit. Yes, we should see an outward evidence of this knowledge and understanding and knowing that the will of God should be in our hearts and lives. Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Outwardly, we are not gaining God's favor by what we do. It is a show of our love for him, for him redeeming and awakening our hearts to the truth of who he is. We can't but help do things that bring honor and praise to him. And it ends up by saying that all of this increases the knowledge to God, of God. I might have this wrong. This might be another fruit of what we might see. But I think that it is saying to us also that the more that we do those things, the more that we walk in a manner worthy, the more that we are pleasing to God, the more we are bearing fruit, the more we will understand and grow in knowledge of God himself. Paul's second petition is for power. I read from verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and with joy. Like knowledge, the Colossians were offered two types of power. This counterfeit power from the same people that were saying that you can have this knowledge. It was like a reward that they could have. And I would think that maybe in some evangelists today, TV-style evangelists, 
they might be saying, you can nurture special powers coming from God if you tune in and understand and be a faithful partner in this mission. Never really telling you what they might be, but there is that offer. Paul is specifically praying for one thing and one thing only, where the author of all of that power should be. It should come from the God that created and spoke into existence all of the universe. The God that knows all, sees all, is ever-present. He offers to us complete resources that he has as the almighty God. How could we ever go wrong by not trusting in him for all that we need? And that he can continually says to us that he will supply all our needs and wants. But I think there's just a little bit of a bonus in this scripture when it's talking about where that strength and the power may come from because it says, and according to his glorious might. As I was studying this, I would not have picked up on this because I don't know enough about... uh, Jewish history. I would just look at that and think that glorious is kind of magnifying uh, might. But there's more to it than that. See, the Jews took such reverence in God's name that they didn't want to just speak of it uh, trifling. It was only said with honor and, and glory and praise, but they limited very much because they didn't want to take and go against that commandment that says, thou shalt not use my name in vain. So they would take and use specific words that they would relate and know was the same as God. And glorious here is now really saying Yahweh himself, Yahweh's might. That's what Paul is praying and saying is available to not only the Colossians, to us today. His prayer is asking for this to come to them. And what will, be the, what will come of that? Paul says, when we are willing to look to the power of God himself, we will have endurance, patience, and joy. I think we understand endurance, especially for those of us that let ourselves get out of shape. And that first snowfall comes and we go out there to shovel that stuff off the driveway and then we realize maybe we should have been taking some time to get some endurance up to be able to take on this task. That's a physical thing. But Paul is praying for spiritual power and endurance so that whatever comes our way, whatever is in this life, this Christian life, as we walk with Christ that we have the endurance and the ability to continue on and be steadfast. There could be an argument made that patience uh, is part of the same, and it can be, but I think that maybe there's another aspect to patience. I think it might be more pertaining to our relationship with others, even other Christians. Do we have that ability to truly understand and know that each one of us is different, uh, that in our uniqueness, uh, that sometimes we must have a spirit 
that says they are not the same as I am, but they are loved by God the same as I, and I would want to look at them with the same great love that God has. That may take patience. And if we've ever been in, in times of strain, um, whether it may be in a family situation, whatever, patience is a great virtue to have, and it should be highly sought after. And he says also that joy can come to us in the midst of everything that we endure in this Christian life. Yes, even in those times that is not happy joy, we can take joy knowing that at that foundation, at that very bottom of, of our level of Christianity, we know that Christ has redeemed us for an eternity. Whatever trials and tribulations call, come along in this life pale in comparison to the hope that we have in the completed work of Christ. When we grow, when we mature in love and understanding of the one true God, can it not but produce in us a heart that is filled with thanksgiving? Right now, with, with that question, what I'm asking you to do is put your fingers on your spiritual pulse to see how it is. My friends, Christians should not be just going through life, never striving or seeking after greater knowledge and understanding and power coming from God. We're never on cruise control. If we are, we should be questioning ourselves, saying why. That is not part of the Christian life. It's never spoken of. We are always to be increasing, growing closer. Maybe it's to the point that maybe we should even question whether that true salvation has come to us if we've taken on a much less of a Christian value and look. Paul concludes his prayer as he started it in thanksgiving, verses 12 and 13, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dom domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his, his beloved Son. By the time Paul has written this part of the prayer, he says, the Father qualified you to share an inheritance. Four times, specifically, he has referred to them as you. That's as close as Paul can come to using their specific names because he doesn't have names and faces that can connect and know exactly who these people are. Remember a week or two ago, whenever it was, when, when Pastor John was saying, uh, he said, sometimes when I'm thinking about praying for you as individuals, he said, all I have to do is close my eyes and I think of where you're sitting in the church. And I can put a name and a face with the person. And I, I can remember them. Paul didn't have that ability to do that. But he lovingly is calling him for the fourth time, you beloved, you that are the same as I, Christians that have been re redeemed by the blood of Christ. And he is thankful for them. Paul gives us a great picture of the one thing that we can all take 
great comfort and joy in, which is our salvation. And as soon as he does that, he switches from you to we, us. Paul wants to let them know that he is including himself in that great multitude of those that will stand before the throne of the grace, throne of grace, honoring and praising God forever when this life is over. And I think it's one of those places in the scripture that we should mark. And if we ever want to know, really, what is our salvation all about? Look at the word picture that he gives us. We were in the domain of darkness. We had no hope of ever being removed from that. There was nothing that we could do. But he, God himself, in his plan and by his might, totally by him, we were delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Praise to him for that. But also he transferred us. He moved us, set us there by his might, by his power, by his work, his only, to the kingdom of his beloved son. That same beloved son that we made reference to before that he said, in whom he was well pleased. That is now our status and our stature. That is what Paul has been praying for and is so thankful for. My friends, let me ask you something today. Is this how you pray for each other? Is this how I pray for all of you? For the fellow Christians here at Crossway Christian Church? For fellow Christians of the kingdom of, of God's church around the world? Is it our desire and our prayer that we be filled with this kind of knowledge, the knowledge that comes from knowing his will and all spiritual wisdom and knowledge? Is it our prayer that that power of his glorious might come to each individual Christian? Is that the burden of our prayer? Is our prayer filled with a heart of great thankfulness for the salvation that God has so graciously given to us. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I pray at this time in this piece of scripture that we have seen that you enlighten us not only to understand more about prayer, the necessity of prayer, what we should be praying for, but also I pray that it gives us a greater desire to be praying for your kingdom, for your community, for your church, Lord, as individuals and as those that come together and we know as the church worldwide. May that be a burden truly on our hearts, Lord. And if we do not have this same great fervor and burden that Paul does, we pray this day that we repent, that we say, Lord, instill in us, renew, regenerate our hearts, 
Give us that hunger to come before your throne of grace, equipping saints for your work, Lord. We thank you that your word is powerful to transform our hearts and minds. And as we think of prayer this day, Lord, we pray that it truly makes us a people of prayer. As individuals in this community, this body of believers, and in your church. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.